Hello and welcome to the From My Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Marshall, and we have got a lot to get into today. We have college football mayhem. We have the NBA season starting. We have the NFL. We have a lot to talk about. And let's start with quick takes. This is something I've added to the show. I run down three quick topics and how I feel about them. Let's start with Colin Kaepernick suing the NFL for collusion. And this is an almost impossible thing to prove without wiretaps, verified emails, a credible witness, or anything of that nature. And this definitely won't help him land a job because if I'm an NFL owner or any owner of any business, I'm not going to hire a guy who sued me or is currently suing me. The NFL Players Association has fumbled something once again. The NFL Players Association pushed Cap to do this, at least in my opinion, because they're trying to get it from under this awful CBA agreement they signed, which is going to last 10 years. Because if collusion is proved, the CBA is automatically voided due to breach of contract, meaning they have to redo it and hopefully get some guarantees to those guys who are playing football, who have the shortest careers, who play the most dangerous sport. They can get something for their troubles. Because if you're not a superstar, you really don't last long in this league. You're replaceable. And so this is a bad move on Colin Kaepernick's part because you're gonna, you're really burning the bridge at this point. If it wasn't burned before, it's definitely gone now because if I'm an owner, I'm not hiring you. You're suing me. Why would I hire you? It's a waste of time and money. I'm not going to help a guy that's suing me. And the NFL Players Association has butchered this. I'm sure they had some sort of influence on this decision. And speaking of bad decisions, let's go to ESPN who's considering moving on from a great sports analyst, Jamel Hill. And I'm telling you, ESPN, you don't want to make that mistake. She hasn't done anything wrong, unless you include utilizing free speech as something wrong. She didn't threaten anyone. I honestly don't see what she did wrong. She voiced her opinion. But if you fire her, she'll go right to Fox Sports. And they're right on your coattails in terms of talent. They've got Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp. Their show is doing numbers. Colin Cowherd's getting millions of downloads a month. Chris Carter, Nick Wright, first things first. They've got something going there. All those people move the needle. And then looking at the broadcasters and reporters, you have Joe Buck, Aaron Andrews, Troy Aikman. Those are just the big names. They, and no matter what sport you watch on Fox Sports 1, they have talent. So ESPN, I'm telling you now, you don't want to make that mistake. And if you look at your history of firing people trying to stay politically correct, Colin Cowherd. You're missing out on that. Skip Bayless, you didn't want to pay those extra dollars. Max Kellerman's great. But I'm telling you, Skip Bayless and, and Stephen A. Smith first take, that's unmatched from any debate show I've ever seen. Max Kellerman's great. I love watching Max Kellerman. I wish he'd get his own show. I love Stephen A. Smith, too. I listen to his show. But Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith on the same show, it was unmatched. You got the viewership. You didn't want to pay. So don't make the same mistake with her that you made with Colin, uh, excuse me, Colin Cowherd trying to stay politically correct. Don't make that same mistake twice. And to end it off, let's go with Rob Ryan, who's expressed interest on the herd in coaching not only NFL but college football, he and his brother. And this would be perfect for college football, and it would be perfect for the SEC, who currently lacks coaching talent. When you look across SEC, Tennessee will have a job opening. Texas A&M might have a job opening because if I'm Kevin Sumlin, do I really want to stay at a place where if I lose one game, the boosters are now calling for my job? Texas A&M seems to be the most overvalued program in college football. They're not really a historically great program. They're historically good. They're not a championship contender. Johnny Manziel made you a championship contender. Only time you really beat Alabama was with Johnny Manziel. So Texas A&M is overvalued. Their boosters seem to overvalue it. And every time you lose, they're calling for your job. Kevin Sumlin, he can go coach anywhere. 
I'd love to have him coach my team. So they might have an opening. And if you look across the SEC, they're not recruiting well this year. I know it's still kind of early in the recruiting season, but three have committed to SEC schools. Three have committed to Ohio State. Three have committed to Clemson and Florida State combined, and six are uncommitted. The SEC is not recruiting well right now. They historically do recruit well, but recruits are starting to see if I go to these schools, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to get the proper coaching because if you look at it, Tennessee, they're somehow ranked in the top 25 to start the season. It, it irks me. Somehow, some way, they're going to be ranked in the top 25 at one point in the season, and it's usually the preseason poll. They can't even beat South Carolina, a struggling South Carolina, let me add, at home. LSU can't even beat Troy at home. Florida can't beat anybody worth mentioning. And these are the programs that recruit historically well. Outside of Alabama and Georgia, they don't. the teams that recruit historically well in the SEC are nothing. Outside of Alabama and Georgia. And they're dominating the game. We'll talk about them in a couple of minutes. But they're dominating the game. Outside of them, there's nothing. The Ryan brothers, have, they, they have the NFL pedigree. They've been there. They've won at the NFL level. Rex Ryan won with Matt, Mark Sanchez as a starting quarterback in New York. These guys know what they're doing in terms of coaching and their personalities. Recruiting is going to be the easy part. I'd love to go play for Rex Ryan or Rob Ryan. They're, they're great guys. They're funny. They're interactive. What player wouldn't want to go play for them? And so that's my thing on them. They're great. And if the SEC could land one or both, even on both on the same team, they're back in business. They're going to start bringing in those recruits. They're finally going to get those recruits good, proper coaching. Because if you look across the Big Ten, they're elite. Their coaches are phenomenal. And let's talk about egos, specifically sports egos. Egos, I'm saying that word a lot, are an important part of being an athlete because that's the difference between you being good and great. It's the difference between making the team and getting cut. It's the difference between being a good college player and a good NFL player or professional player. But egos can also destroy your career and your team's success. And this applies directly to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have way too much ego in their locker room. Mike Tomlin has an ego. Big Ben has one. Le'Veon Bell has one. Antonio Brown has one. And all those guys have called out each other or someone on the team at some point in time. Big Ben has called out Mike Tomlin a multitude of times. Antonio Brown has called out Big Ben and vice versa. Le'Veon Bell has called out Mike Tomlin for not running the ball as much as he would like them to run the ball. And all these have hindered the Steelers from becoming the team they should be at this point in the season. The Steelers got destroyed by Jacksonville. That game, they should have won that game. And if they did lose, they shouldn't have been 30-9. to They lost to the Chicago Bears. And you know why they lost to the Chicago Bears? Because they let the distractions in the Eagles take priority over winning the game. Big Ben and Villanueva felt the team should have stood for the national anthem and honor the flag, while others did not. And I know when you, when you look at the Steelers, they're still a good team. They can still win games. They went to Kansas City and beat the best team in football on their field. But, of course, a player's ego had to spoil the celebration. Wide receiver Martavis Bryant demanded a trade because he was unhappy. The team and the organization players, they all knew he was unhappy. But the team and players and organizations stood by him during his season-long suspension last year. They stood by him during his four-game suspension in 2015. And it wasn't like he accidentally did something to earn those. He committed the most idiotic and voluntary crime you can commit in the NFL rulebook, and that's smoking weed. He couldn't stay off the weed. He couldn't stop. 
It cost him four games. He didn't care. I'm going to do it again. Failed another drug test, cost him a season. And this team stood by him. They could have cut him. And no team's going to sign a guy with a pending six game, 16 game suspension. His career could have been over just like that. But no, this team stood by him through all his idiotic decision making. And then, knowing his, his history, they decided let's go out and get a wide receiver in the draft. They get Juju Smith Schuster out of Notre Dame. That kid can play. And as soon as that happened, guess who started beef with his own teammate, Sammy Coates? Martavis Bryant. The guy who couldn't, who didn't even play because you can't stop smoking. He decided that it was going to be funny to tell uh, Sammy Coates that he's taking his job, not mine. And yeah, he technically did take Sammy Coates' job because now he's a Cleveland Brown. But he's also taking yours, Martavis. He's taking yours. That's why you're actually expendable right now, and that's why you want out. It's not because you're unhappy. Your ego won't allow you to admit that he's taking your job. So you're unhappy. And then he tried to do all the, you know, his agent probably called him. I'm happy here in Pittsburgh. No one's buying it. Well, at least I'm not buying it. You can't sell me fool's gold. Because I'm going to go with the initial report, and I'm going to go with what your girlfriend said on Snapchat, saying she, we can't wait to get out of here. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm not going to go with your little press statement that your agent wrote for you. And if I'm Pittsburgh, I can't wait to deal you. Because if I'm, and again, if I'm Pittsburgh, if you want them right now, I want a 2018 second round pick. I love coming up with trades. You know this about me. And that's what I'm going to do right now. A 2018 right now, no negotiation. You can have them. If not, give me a third, 2018 third round and the condition of 2019 third round is if you activate it more than five games. And if that won't work, the final offer is a young D-liner safety player, a 2018 third round, and a 2019 conditional fourth round if he's on the roster by week one. Those are the three deals I'll take to get him off my hands right now. Those are all fair deals, especially if I'm the other team looking to acquire him. These are more than reasonable deals. But as the GM of, or the owner of the team, do I want the baggage that comes with Martavis? Brian can play. We all know he's a good wide receiver. He can play. But do I want the weed problem, the drug problem? Do I want the ego? Do I want the sense of entitlement to the point where he'll attack his own teammate? Do I want that in my locker room? And if I'm the GM, no, because he doesn't translate to what I like to call wins. If he translated the wins, yeah, I'd take on all those problems. Come on. But he doesn't. So that's going to be the issue with Pittsburgh trying to trade him. And if you don't believe me, Pittsburgh in, 26, in, in 2015 during his four-game suspension, they were 10-6. and six. In the whole season in, 20, in 2016 without him, they were 11-5. and five. He does not translate to wins. He's just another good player on the roster. He did not move the needle in terms of winning and losing games. That's Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and maybe even Juju Smith-Schuster. But let's go from one problem to another. We're going to move from the ego to the health problems. And you already know we're talking about Green Bay. They entered the game at Minnesota without Kevin King and Devon House, their top two corners. And they were also without linebacker Joe Thomas, a valuable player against the pass. And here's a list of the players that that the Packers lost or got hurt throughout the course of the game. Ty Montgomery. Brian Bulaga, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsey, Pimpkins, Taylor, I'm not done, Quentin Rollins, who's done for the season, and Aaron Rodgers, who's likely done for the season on an egregiously late hit. I don't care what you say about that hit. It was unnecessary, and it was uh, late. He could have pushed him down. That's fine. Yeah, it wasn't within the rules, but at one point, do you take four steps, wrap the quarterback up, 
pile drive him into the ground, roll over top of him, and get up and go high-five your boys, knowing what you just did to that man. It should be a fine. I don't care if it's a suspension. I don't care if it's a suspension. It should be a fine because it was egregiously late and unnecessary. He knew what he was doing. And with Aaron Rodgers' season up in the air, he's still it's not official that he's out, but he's done. The Packers, I say we ride it out with Brett Hundley, who I'm actually fairly optimistic about. I don't think it, we're obviously not winning the Super Bowl with him behind center. But I think we can still win this division. Minnesota's offense is not really there. Detroit is Detroit. And the Bears, they're not really there. They're, they have a better roster than Green Bay. Well, so does everybody else in the division. But I think Brett Hundley, we've invested, the Packers have invested a lot of time, a lot of resources. He's still working under Aaron Rodgers. Joe Callahan could play a little bit. We're not, Green Bay's not done. This thing is not over yet. They're four and two. They're tied atop the division. They 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 have the Bears on the schedule in the next four weeks. They have a bye week in the next four weeks. They have time to prepare some sort of game plan for Brett Hundley, a guy that Mike McCarthy is very high on. He said we're not going to get a different quarterback. I like my guys here. I like Hundley, who we've invested three years worth of resources into, and Joe Callahan, who's been you know on and off the practice squad. He's been cut a couple times, but that's just for roster roster things but they they, they're not done but they're definitely not nfc favorites and that's where this comes into who is the nfc favorite and right now i'm going to go out on the limb and say the philadelphia eagles will likely represent the nfc in the super bowl followed by atlanta those are the only two teams i see winning the nfc the eagles are on fire after the and after these next two games they'll be seven and one san francisco and washington They've already dominated Washington. That hard part's done. They know they can beat them. In San Francisco, they do play teams tough, but they're not going to beat Carson big time in that Eagles team. And after that, they have the up-and-down Broncos. They have the Cowboys, who likely aren't going to have Zeke, whose suspension was just upheld. I just got the alert. He can appeal it again, but that's the NFL PA being foolish. But likely without Zeke, they have no defense. Limit the rest of the schedule. It's not too hard if you ask me. You have a few tough ones. You have Oakland at home. You have Seattle, who doesn't have an offense. You have the Rams. That's going to be a good game. And if you look at Atlanta, they have a tougher road. They have at New England, at Carolina, at Seattle, who has no offense, at Tampa Bay, and versus Minnesota. These two teams will be one and two facing each other in the NFC Championship game to get to the Super Bowl. Without Green Bay in the picture, this was Green Bay's year. Looking across Atlanta, they're down right now. They're struggling. They lost to the Bills and Dolphins at home. They have New England on the road. I told the Falcons fans, without Kyle Shanahan, your offense is not the same in any way, shape, or form. But I still think they're number two right now in terms of representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. Them and the Eagles. And I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back with some NBA talk. And I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the From My Perspective podcast. And... The NBA season is amongst us. There's no other way. I'm clearly excited for it. And we have two championship previews. We have the Boston Celtics at the Cleveland Cavaliers at 8 p.m. And the Houston Rockets at the Golden State Warriors at 10.30. We have Kyrie versus LeBron. Cavs will obviously be without IT with the hip injury. And then we have the new and improved Houston Rockets with Chris Paul and that bench versus the reloaded Warriors. And tomorrow night, we have a first-round matchup preview according to my predictions for the Western Conference, Timberwolves at Spurs. 
I'm excited for this season, and I really can't wait, even if that means we get a Cavs and Warriors part four. And I still find that hard to believe that people actually think seeing the two best teams play in the finals is a bad thing. I still don't get it. I don't care if we get the Cavs and Warriors part four, five, six, seven, as long as they're the two best teams putting on an entertaining series. I don't care. Let me ask you a series of questions. Are you tired of seeing the Transformers or Fast movies? No. Because you know what you're getting. You know it's quality. Also, if it's so boring to watch the same two teams, why did last year's finals average 20 million viewers per game? That's more than Cavs and Warriors Part 2. And that was the 3-1. Why? Tell me why. If it's so boring, why'd you tune in? There's nothing wrong ever with seeing the two best teams play in a national championship or a finals or a Super Bowl. There's never anything wrong with that. How could you find something wrong with that? I'm tired of seeing LeBron. I'm tired of seeing the KD. What, do you want to see the Thunder and, and, and Bucks play? Would you rather that? I wouldn't. I want to see the two best teams, the two best rosters face off in the finals. And speaking of the two best teams, let's take it over to college football right now. Let's take it back. Who's the second best team in, the co- in college football? We have Alabama and who? Clemson lost to Syracuse. And looking at some other top 10 teams, Washington State got absolutely demolished by Cal 37-3. Auburn lost to LSU, who lost to Troy at home. And for some context of how bad that really is, Troy just lost to South Alabama by two possessions. Washington lost to Arizona State and almost got shut out. Wisconsin barely beat Purdue at home. Oklahoma almost lost to Texas. Baylor, who lost to Liberty and did lose to Iowa State. They're frauds. And it baffles me how they're ranked over Oklahoma State, who only lost to TCU. If we're being honest, Alabama has a clear, clear, clear path to winning the title. Now, is Georgia a great team? Yes, they will likely they will meet in the SEC championship. And if Georgia loses to Alabama, Georgia's still going to get into the college football playoff as far as I'm concerned. Georgia has dominated everybody they've played except for Notre Dame, who they beat by one on the road. And if in case you don't know, Notre Dame's pretty darn good. And even if Georgia beats Alabama, it'd be foolish to leave Alabama out of the college football playoff. These two teams, no matter what happens, if they went out and meet in the, in, in the SEC championship, they'll be in the college football playoff. And after looking at the AP top 25, it's prompted me to put together a perspective 10 for college football. And let's get right into it. Number one, we have Alabama 7-0. Number two, we have Georgia 7-0. Georgia and Alabama have won their last five games by a combined margin of 847 to 123. That's an average of 97.4 to 24.6. If that doesn't scream dominance, I don't know what does. Penn State, we have number three. They're 6-0. Number four, we have TCU, 6-0. I typically don't like big style, I mean, excuse me, big 12 schools because their style of play is not really entertaining to me. It's you score, I score, you score, I score, you score, I kick a field goal, you score. It's, it's, a, it's a shootout every game, and there's no real defense ever being played. Number five, we have Ohio State, 6-1. Yes, I have Ohio State over Wisconsin, who has no quality wins and barely beat Purdue at home. Record means nothing to me, especially when it comes to undefeated versus one-loss teams when they lose to good teams. When I just called Oklahoma frauds, but at the time, they were playing like they were going to win the national championship. 
and we have oh, and the number six we have Wisconsin six and zero. Number seven we have Miami, Florida seven. I mean six and zero. I was tempted to put Miami over Wisconsin, but Wisconsin is a better team than Miami. Number eight we have Oklahoma State five and one. Their only loss was t- to TCU, who's a solid team. And number th- number four in my rankings. Number nine we have Notre Dame five and one. Notre Dame's only loss was to Georgia by one. And then we have number 10, Clemson, 6-1. They slipped up big time. I don't care if you lost your starting quarterback. There's no excuse for losing to Syracuse. This college football season has not disappointed anyone. We have a ton of upsets, and I don't think it's over. We're going to have a shakeup soon in the Big 12. All those schools, they'll play each other. Alabama and Georgia will play in the SEC, and I'm 98% sure that'll be a good game, and both teams won't be affected by it in terms of making the college football playoff. So the the big the, the, the NCAA, it's exciting to me. And let's keep doing the perspective 10. Let's take it to the NFL perspective 10. We have the Kansas City Chiefs at number one. The Chiefs are still the best team in the league. Losing doesn't mean you plummet in rankings. This is not college. Losing is a part of the NFL. Alex Smith, Hunt, the Chiefs, as a, the team as a whole had a rough day. It happened. Number two, we have the Philadelphia Eagles up from number seven. Carson Big Time. And the Eagles, they have a clear shot at winning the NFC NFC right now, not only the NFC East. And I said it earlier, Philly and Atlanta, the only two teams I can see winning the NFC. Atlanta's in the dumps right now. They'll obviously get out of it. Their offense is too good to stay in the dumps. Eagles are 5-1 and one with a relatively easy schedule in terms of looking ahead. Number three, we have the Carolina Panthers up from five. The Panthers lost to the Eagles, but there's no real shame or penalty in that. Number four, we have the New England Patriots up from eight. Detroit, Atlanta, Denver, all lost to inferior teams. New England survives the Jets, who actually look pretty good. They reclaim the top spot in the AFC East, so they move up to four. Number five, we have the Los Angeles Rams up from 10. The Rams go to Jacksonville and beat the best statistical defense in football. By no means is that an easy game to win. The Jags defense has given every quarterback they face problems, and they were red hot after catching five interceptions on future Hall of Fame quarterback Big Ben. But the Rams went there and got it done. Number six, we have Atlanta down from three. The Falcons hit a wall. This offense doesn't look the same post-Shanahan like I predicted. And the Falcons, they're they're struggling to get into a rhythm. And they better get into it fast because Carolina is coming. Number seven, we have the Denver Broncos down from four. And Denver had a terrible showing against the Giants. And that's why they're falling. Number eight, we have the Detroit Lions down from six. The Lions got smashed. They got smashed by New Orleans. But they started mounting a comeback. They got and they were mounting a comeback. They looked like they were getting ready to get back in the game. And then a pick six in the end zone just about ended it. Number nine, we have the Houston Texans who were not ranked the week before. And I am sold on Deshaun Watson. This guy can put up points. He has his team in prime position to win the division and maybe a game or two in the playoffs. Behind behind this great defense, Watson has 15 touchdown passes, 1,297 passing yards, and only five interceptions. This Texas team is for real. And number 10, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were not ranked last week. And they're back in the rankings after their huge win at Kansas City. Yes, they have issues, but they got it done when it mattered. This team is up and down. And let's go ahead and end the show off with Gambler's Paradise. Last week, I was 2-1. and one. I got Atlanta wrong. I got the Eagles over Panthers correct. And I got the Redskins not covering that spread versus San Francisco correct. My record on the year is 8-6. and six, And I want to go perfect this week, as I always do. But I really want to go perfect this week. So let's go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Minus 3 will cover that spread versus Oakland this week. Derek Carr not this Chiefs team has had the division's number, especially Oakland, who hasn't beaten Kansas City since November 20th of 2014. That won't change. This this Chiefs team is coming after that embarrassing loss at home to Pittsburgh. Then we have Minnesota, minus five and a half. They will not cover that spread 
versus Baltimore. Yes, the Ravens are up and down, but Case Keenum versus that Ravens defense is not a good mix. And then we have the New Orleans Saints, minus five and a half. They will cover that spread against Green Bay, who's without Aaron Rodgers, and maybe without other key players, depending on who they decide to shut down. And this Packers team is beat up like no other. This high-powered Saints offense will score at will. I hope you enjoyed the show. This is the From My Perspective podcast. I'll see you guys next time.